Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode. Now I have uh, Tiffany Alexander with me. And uh, when we met recently, you you told me some really cool things about your your big busy family. Yes, big and busy. Um, <laughs> and I I just thought that there was so much value there, and there's so many people out there that they're so overwhelmed with mm-hmm. their family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe you could you could help with the discussion of how we can bring some inner peace to that family life. Because can't family life be stressful just like a job could? It absolutely can. And I think part of it is um, what we bring to the table for expectations, Mm. right? So we have this whole preconceived notion of what family life is, quote unquote, supposed to be like. Right. And part of it is recognizing how much of that is necessary and, you know, that you can use to actually formulate your day and organize and how much of it is really just unnecessary stress for no reason. Right. And you can just kind of let it go. Right. So um, knowing that it's okay that, oh, well, I was raised this way or, you know, my mom did it this way, my dad did it this way, my big brother, big sister, auntie, uncle, whomever um, had an impact on how you view things. But at the end of the day, it's your family mm-hmm. and you kind of have to do what works for you. Right. Are you, how many kids do you have? So I have four. 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 So, and, and they're a wide range of age, right? Right. So my youngest is uh, going to be 12 next month. My, uh, she's my daughter, my baby girl going on like, I don't know, 45. We'll figure that out <laughs> later. Um, but then my son, Justin, is going to be 16. My daughter, Belle, is going to be 20 in February. And then today, October 11th, for those of you who don't know, is my son's birthday, and yeah. he's uh, 28. 28. Yeah. Wow. My firstborn. So you got a bunch of teenagers. Yes. <laughs> Basically. All and then, teens and, and, and millennials. Then a, and and then an older. Yeah. Wow. And then it's myself and hubby. So we are officially outnumbered, but, um, but it works. Okay. So how do you... Um, how do you help your teenagers in this social media era? Mm-hmm. Do you have to police that? You got a 12 year old. So there, there's yeah. hormones either there or about to be there. Uh, they are fully there. Okay. They've been there for almost a year. God help us. Um, <laughs> I was not ready for that conversation nor all the fallout um, from her having to deal with those physical and emotional changes and whatnot. Um, so here's the thing with policing. I, I I try and learn not just from my own mistakes, but also um, having worked with children and families for like 25 years, mm-hmm. right? I see what they go through. I hear the struggles, right? So I try to say, okay, here's what works. Here's what works for my child specifically. Here's my non-negotiables and here's where there's room to play. So I think policing is probably too strong a word. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we do before it becomes a problem is we lay out some degree of expectations and they're smart enough to know why, right? So we tell them why. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they're going to obey the first time. Doesn't mean they're going to agree the first time. But I, I think that when we give them the reasons why we set parameters and why we're we're saying here's 
what we would like to see you do, and here's the reason why. We get a little bit more buy-in. They might not still get it, but it, at least it doesn't come out like, oh, well, you're just trying to control me, mom. You know, I'm, I'm gonna do what I want. Or worse yet, for them to like circumnavigate us and try and sneak past, mm -hmm. that I think is far more dangerous. So I would rather them feel like asking the question is safe or getting clarification is safe. Um, and then we revisit it um, and we're just honest, you know, have you ever had a problem with bullying, with someone who's, you know, older than you uh, hanging out with your space, with your friends? Like we, we have those conversations and they're not fun and they're not easy, but I think that they ultimately make things easier. Mm. So not policing, lots of communication, mm. like lots. Right. And it depends on the child's age. Because, you know, you have to talk differently to your 20-year-old than your 12-year-old, than your 16-year-old, than even my 28-year-old, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, he's 28 and he's got his own life, but every now and then he'll still come back and say, hey, what about this thing? And I'm genuinely like, really? You're still asking questions? Great. I'll take that, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, do you think that social media is creating uh, an insecurity? Because the kids are comparing, or people in general are comparing each other with everyone because they're looking at the timeline or the, uh, the yeah. news feeds. Yeah, I think there's a whole psychology um, that none of us expected as a side effect of social media, mm -hmm. whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, just this whole living out loud, in living color, front and center, in real time. Um, it's a very different set of again, expectations, I think, that we put on ourselves and also that comparison. Um, there's a lot of self-reflection that you have to do, I think, in order to navigate social media and not get like a little bit jealous or insecure or you know, taking what you see on social media and somehow placing self-value on that. Right. Um, so I think it's really important to remind kids, speaking of just mine, that everything they see is not all that there is that there's always another part of the story like okay you see this you know family living it up in in disney okay that's great you know depending on how many times they go mm. um what did it take to get there well you know right. they had to plan they had to save mm. they had to you know make certain decisions it didn't just happen right. one day that they woke up and just everybody went to disney um and then same thing with I don't know, designer labels and stuff. Like there's a cost that comes with that. Right. Uh, whether you see it or not. So I think sometimes letting them know that there's so much more to the story than what you see. It's a great point. And, it's helpful. And, and, and we don't know if they even had a good time at Disney. They could have been back at the hotel yelling at each other, the family, right? Yelling mm -hmm, at each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they've gotten back home and there's like $10,000 worth of debt, which right. now somebody doesn't go to college or mm. someone doesn't get that uh, car repair. I mean, and that's not to say that everything you see on social media, that no one's having fun and they didn't earn the trip or anything like that. I'm just saying that there's always two sides to everything you see on social media. Yeah. You got to dig down deeper. You got to unpack it. Um, so that's, that's, that's a great point. Uh, what, what about dating? You got, you got these kids that are like, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, so, how do you deal with that when they they, they bring home uh, boyfriend, girlfriend? So, again, I think that whole idea of you will do this, you won't do that, let's just face it, that does not work, right? Um, we ask a lot of questions, and we ask a lot of questions that make them think about 
how they want to live and how they want to be treated. And I know that sounds a little weird, especially when you're talking about like 12 years old and 16 years old, but you have to start having those conversations early because those are foundational to what they're going to grow up believing is okay. And and I use my daughter as an example because um, she's a giver almost to a fault. And um, she's had a couple of relationships that I would consider um, serious for her age. Um, But there were some warning signs with, you know, one of her relationships. And, you know, all we could really do effectively is to say things like, okay, and how did that make you feel? Okay. And, um, oh, so I see that this thing happened. You know, what what are you going to do about it? You know, what are your thoughts on this? You know, do you see a way around it? So having them problem solve through some of that mm. and and what was the most effective thing is to have her come to realizations on her own right. and i'm honestly I, i'm going to take a moment and say how proud i am of her because she came to some very painful realizations on her own about how she wanted to be treated and what she did and did not deserve and that was a lot more effective than my husband and i saying he's no good for you um you guys need to break up mm. Yeah, isn't it, some kids don't want to hear from their parents, right? So if you did give your opinion, there could have been some backlash there? Definitely. Um, just just teenagers, just teenagers being teenagers and them. They're coming into their own. Yeah, and and, and I got to believe also, um, and this is, it's a hard line to walk as a parent. You got to believe that if you've put your heart and soul into giving advice into you know, trying to teach lessons, trying to live by example, at some point you have to like pass that torch of trust that says, okay, I've given you all I can give, what are you gonna do with it? And letting them know that if and when it gets hard, we're here. Right. Like, I'm not gonna promise you you're never gonna have a problem. I'm just gonna promise you that when you have a problem, we're right here. Mm. And I think that saying that over and over again when there's no problem right makes it a lot easier for them to come to you when, when there there's is a problem one. right 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 that makes sense yeah they they they're coming into their own and they they that feeling of independence they say that the kid starts feeling the independence around eight never mind 20. um i <laughs> You know, I, I, I know that some people say that, um, but I was also a toddler teacher and a preschool teacher, and I can tell you, I, th- I think it's sooner than that. Okay. I think a lot of um, those personality traits and a lot of Five? the need for se- three. Yeah? Three, two. Yeah, the moment the moment that children start testing their boundaries is, mm. is when that stuff starts to take. I ah. mean, that's their whole job is trying to figure out where's the line? If I cross it, what's going to happen? <laughs> who, who are my people around me who's going to keep me safe? What do I avoid? Um, you know, that's their whole job is, is figuring out where those lines are, where the barriers are, testing them. And then once they establish where those lines are and they have a sense of trust, they can, they can firmly take the next steps. Mm. So, you know, I, I have this conversation a lot with parents, um, especially if they're suffering with disciplinary concerns. Um, you know, there's, a, there's two different camps on this where you've got progressive or very permissive discipline where it's like, you know, they'll find their own way, do what you want, you know, we'll only correct you if it's dangerous. But children need to feel safe and they need to feel that 
when they fall, there's something that's going to catch them. If they don't have boundaries, so they don't sense boundaries, they don't know that when you say something, you mean it, right? They don't learn to trust it. Mm. So it's like you call that soft no, the jello no, <laughs> right? So you say no, but it, it, it's not really no. It's if you cry hard enough, I'll give it to you. If you ask me enough times, I'll give it to you. Mm. If I feel guilty enough, I'll cave and I'll give it to you. Right. So that jello no ends up being something whereby the 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 message that the child's getting that you don't mean to say is i don't mean what i say right um so when i tell you something it can change and you're never going to know if mm. i mean what i say or not uh -huh. so sometimes when you say no and you stick to that no the child may not like it but they will trust it and then they'll they'll realize that okay this person has told me this um, they mean what they say i can now make adjustments with my behavior thus childhood psychology 101 happening here i'm just saying did did your background in childhood mm -hmm. education help mm -hmm. you with with your children absolutely um and sometimes it's sometimes it's helped me personally that that you know you have your emotions right so when things happen with your kids the knee-jerk is that you react right you react emotionally and i think that what happened in early childhood is that um, these were not my children, right? And so I had to communicate with parents and respect their parenting style and respect their wishes. And, and I mean, I saw all gambit right. of difficulties, whether it's it's food allergies, medical allergies, discipline, behavior, um, you know, split parents, um, uh, my goodness, adoptions and, and foster kids and just, you know, child abuse and neglect. Like there were so many different things that came across my desk and, and you had to deal with each thing with a response. Like you couldn't react emotionally when those things came across your desk, mm -hmm. right? So as a mom, um, I took some of that home where it was like, okay, take the, take the parts that work. Like, yes, your child did this thing, don't react. Like, look at the situation, back up. How would I handle this if this wasn't my kid? I would be respectful, right? I would get all the facts. I would communicate. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes they drive me up a glass wall. And, and it's like, yep, okay, you guys broke mom today. <laughs> Mommy's in timeout. <laughs> we'll deal with it later. Um, but I, I think that the skills have, um, have helped avoid um, some conflict that didn't have to be, um, especially the part where it's like, making no assumptions about um, each one of them because they're so different. Like they're four kids, two boys, two girls, and they're all so different. So no one thing works. <laughs> right, right. Have you ever had to like do a big punishment, like take a car away or? Uh... Um, let's see, I haven't had to take a car. We've had to do things like you know, your social calendar is blocked. Like, no, there's no in, there's no out. There's school, there's work, that's it. And then, and it's not just that, okay, here's the punishment. The whole point of quote unquote punishment is the idea of slowing everything down so that you can quiet the noise and focus on the issue. Right. So we're gonna, we're gonna calm these distractions down so that we can come to the table and all get on the same page about this issue. So for example, a two week quote unquote punishment, um, depending on whatever you want to call it. You're on punishment, you're grounded, you're whatever. In that two weeks, it's not just that I've taken these things from you and we're not going to revisit it. 
during that time, you're talking about how you got there. During that time, you're asking, you know, what can we do differently? You know, here's how we got there. Here's what I did. Um, is there a different way I could have helped you with this? Is there something that you needed from me that you didn't have? Like you're asking questions because the point is not, you know, here's my rule. What I say goes, we're done with it because you're not really done with it. Either it's going to resurface as the same problem over again, or it's going to resurface as resentment from it being unresolved. Mm. So the idea is to resolve the issue, not just to say, I'm punishing it away. Right. You're just, the whole point of the punishment is to pause and communicate. And even, you know, when people were using timeout for the longest, remember that timeout? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there was this misunderstanding about timeout that you sit the child down and you let them calm down for, you know, five minutes or four minutes or, you know, supposedly it's supposed to be, you know, one minute per age of the child, right? So if it's two-year-old child, a two-minute timeout, it's a four-year-old child, it's a four-minute timeout. But the second part of that that people missed was that you don't just sit the child down and walk away. You know, it's two minutes to, yes, allow them to calm their body and, and be there and be supportive, but also to resolve the situation. Right. You don't just walk away from them. You don't just say sit there until you fixed it. <laughs> you know, they don't know how to do that. That's what they need us for. Well, you, you said an interesting word that comes up a lot in, in my podcast is uh, resentment. Mm -hmm. That's something that can be held for decades. Oh, yeah. Never mind a few days. Yeah. That repression of anger or... Oh. Uh, this is a big... <laughs> it's a big thing. Uh, and, of course, when, when psychology became a thing, mm -hmm. uh, the Freud era, mm -hmm. that was the whole thing, was like everything comes back to your mom. <laughs> right? Everything, everything right, is right. like, well... You know, if somebody came into his office and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it was an issue, then it's like, well, let's talk about mom. Mm -hmm. You know, let's dig deep and find out. Yeah. And and these these um these ideas were rehashed in the comedy Frasier. Remember Frasier? I loved Frasier. Yeah, still love Frasier. We watch it every now and then. Yeah, and and so it uh it it, it it's it's this thing, this resentment thing. It's it's like dynamite, ready to blow at any time. Mm -hmm. And some people carry it for decades. What do you, uh, do you feel pressure? As a mom with a bunch of kids, do you, do you feel pressure that, you know, one day, 20 years from now, mm -hmm. you're, you're one of your kids full grown with their own family, you know, could lash out at you or something like that? Oh, or yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think... I think if parents are being honest, like, well, okay, I'm going to speak for myself. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a pressure, but it's, um, what helps me deal with that is I have to gut check myself. And I keep coming back to this, that these children I am charged with, but I don't own them. Right. Right. So it's my job to right. do the best I can to give them the best I can. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they don't belong to me. So there's no ownership there. They don't. And if they, if they come to me and say, you know what, mom, you told me this thing or you did this thing when I was this age and here's how it affected me. I have to, I have to own that Yeah. because whether I saw it coming or not, um, 
what I did or what I said or what I didn't do or didn't say impacted this individual. Right. And I have to own that part. Now, they have a choice as a grown-up or as they mature to decide what to do with that. I mean, we all have that. You know, we all have that. Um, and it's not just parents. I mean, you have people who said things to you when you were five or you were six, and they might not even be relatives, but you might have carried that. You know, someone said that a specific dress looked dumb on you, and now all of a sudden you're in your 30s and you don't know why you will never wear stripes. Right. And it comes back to that mean kid on the playground who said you look stupid in that blue striped dress. Right. Or it might be, you know, a teacher who said, you know, that's, that's the wrong answer. What'd you do that for? What are you, that, like, that's ridiculous. Like, and, and right there, you start that seed of, well, am I not smart enough? Am I dumb? Yes. And then as you get older, now you've got that boss that clips you just the wrong way and insinuates that maybe you don't know what you're doing mm -hmm. and your brain and your body and your feelings go all the way back to that teacher mm. that was like, well, I wasn't stupid. I just, I didn't hear the question or whatever it was. Mm. And then not ever having a chance to resolve it yeah. or to speak out and say, here's what that trigger means to me. Yeah. Um, this is why we have to communicate on the spot, right? Even, even if you take a day or two to think about it, but you gotta, yeah, it's I gotta mean, be resolved. I, I still agree that, you know, speaking things emotionally in the moment is not always going to be the best decision, right. you know, cause the, the, those things can be, there can be volatile, there could be safety concerns, there could be lasting consequences, right? I don't sure. suggest that, you know, you call out your boss in the middle of a, a staff meeting and then mm. expect to come back the next day and right. still have your job. Right. But there's a way that you can say, okay, here's what I understood, ask some clarifying questions, at very least bring it back to the table so that it doesn't fester yeah. and become what you were talking about before, that yeah. resentment. Yeah. Um, and, and I think as a family, right, as parents, it's one of the best gifts we can do for our kids is is the ability to communicate, um, showing them the ability to listen. Because now as a parent, that takes training for me to listen and not fix, right? Because when your child is upset or when you see a problem for your child, your impulse is to fix it, right? Creating space to just listen sometimes is more effective than saying, well, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? Well, here's what you're gonna do to fix that problem. Like, right. you're not listening to me. I don't need you to fix it. I need you to hear me. I need you to empathize. I need you to give me the space to feel. Right. Um, and I think sometimes as parents, that's an uncomfortable place to be in. Some parents could just go through the motions. So, you know, this brings up an interesting subtopic that that I've observed. is uh, It seems as though not everyone is built to be a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, not mm -hmm. everyone has that capability to connect. Mm -hmm. um, uh, everyone's ha had to have had a parent or an uncle or a teacher or someone who just there's no affection there. It's kind of cold. Mm -hmm. It's not that they don't care about you. Mm -hmm. they, they don't know how. They don't, they don't know how to give a hug. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to say, hey, I'm proud of you. You did a mm -hmm. great job. They don't know how to give praise they don't know how they just you know uh that affects a kid Un it, unless they and then maybe years and years and years down the line the the, the child kind of wakes up and you know understands sort of the factor that you know hurt people hurt people kind of yeah and that okay maybe my dad is that way mm -hmm. but how was his dad 
Right, right. You know, it's so funny. I had this conversation with someone about a week and a half ago. We were in um, a coaching session. And now, not too many details, but this was um, this was a female in her 50s. And she and her mom were talking about the difficulties of her dad passing on and, and family coming together and funeral and, you know, things things that unearth and, and surface when family comes back together in, in certain places. And they had an opportunity to finally have a real conversation about her growing up. And um, it came out in her conversation that mom never actually said the words, I love you mm-hmm. to them, never said those words behavior was always there for them uh, doted on them dinner clothes cleaning pto uh made the the halloween costumes like all of that but the actual words i love you did not happen when she was young and when she had that conversation with her mom her mom was like really are you sure wow like it didn't occur to her yeah. that that didn't happen, and when they talked about that's got to be an uncomfortable conversation too. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I can't imagine it was fun. No. Um, but from that conversation, mom was able to talk about her childhood and how she grew up. And to your point, there wasn't that. There wasn't time for that. You know, dad worked overseas and was gone for months at a time mom worked more than uh, one job and like the kids had a lot of adult responsibilities so there was a lot of stuff that they talked about that they just didn't know about each other yeah but i mean we're talking about a woman in her 50s and her mom yeah okay so when you're talking about childhood resentment yeah i mean well i've heard a lot of stories where uh some of this doesn't even get resolved until mm-hmm. the parent is on their deathbed mm-hmm. too if they're dying a slow death and mm-hmm. it's it's hospital time or mm-hmm. hospice time yeah and then the conversations happen so some of the work that um some of the work I do also is when you don't have the opportunity to even have that mm-hmm. so like this schism or this unspoken truth or this conversation that wasn't had um the person's gone and now what do you do you're not gonna resolve that so some of that work is then you know you may not get a resolution but you may be able to reconcile right so you may be able to separate truth from perception right now you can separate what was my hand in it versus what was out of my control and what do I own and what wasn't my garbage, what is mine to carry and what isn't. So then you you really start to evaluate um, the truth of the relationship and not the expectations of the relationship. Right. And not what it looked like, but what it actually was. And when you can accept that, you know, sometimes that pain um, can subside enough to find the value if, even in the pain right? Because sometimes things happen um, that hurt, that the fact is that, that did you not go through that, right. you wouldn't be who you are. Right. Um, Everything's a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Lesson or blessing. Uh, yeah. Sometimes both, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A few episodes ago, I spoke to um, Priscilla Bankston, um, and she, she, she had this pretty cool thing that she said where she was like, it would be in every parent's best interest to sit the kid down on their 18th birthday and say hey listen everything that's happened up to this point it's on me 
because <laughs> it's been my journey. I did the best I could. You know, all my junk that has been piled up from my whole life. Obviously, I I probably put some of that on you. Mm-hmm. But now you're 18, and you know, mm-hmm. my bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think there's basically value I'm in paraphrasing. That. No, I think there's a lot of value in that. But um, I would only add to that that you know, it, it, it's a gift that you can give all the time. Right all the time. I think that as parents, um, again, putting that expectation on us, like no one is saying that we have to be right all the time. And there's value in going to your child, even even your 10-year-old, your five-year-old, and saying, you know what, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Here's what I I was trying to do. I didn't intend for you to feel this way. Now, the idea being that we're not infallible. You know, we don't want our kids to grow up thinking that we can do no wrong. I just can't imagine one of my parents sitting me down and being like, oh, you remember this? You remember that? You remember this back in the day? Mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, well, that's because I grew up this way or mm-hmm. this or that. You know, I really apologize. Wow. Talk about taking responsibility. How cool. That must be relieving to a child. Mm-hmm. The like, wow, mom or dad is like admitting that they're not perfect and they did this and they did that. And it- But you're also teaching them by example because the thing is, well, you know the expression, the kids always, they don't do what you say. They do what you do. Right. You are the model, whether you want to be or not. They are watching, they're listening, they are absorbing what you live every day. Right. So if I'm telling my kid, you know, don't fight, don't argue, but they see me cursing somebody out because they cut me off in traffic or they see me arguing with this lady in the in in Marshalls for the last shirt or whatever. Like they're they're going to do what they remember seeing. Right. You know what I mean? So if I'm going to expect them to be decent kind human beings who consider their needs and everyone else i'm gonna have to do that too and then when i drop that ball i need to say you know what i screwed up or you know (laughs) um my kids know that like i get hangry hangry (laughs) right so i get hangry i'm up i'm i i got two things um i don't do drama after 9 p.m I don't. I don't sign any documents. Don't ask me to. Don't ask me for permission slips. Don't. Don't bring me bad news. Don't ask to go over and sleep over anybody's house. Like after nine p.m. Pay attention. This is a great tip. My brain is done, yeah. and I'm not going to answer questions that I'm going to second guess the next day. I'm not going to feel pressured and hurried to rush to. You know, I'm trying to settle down at that time, and I think that that's something on me. Like that's my. <laughs> that's my weakness. That's my boundary. That's my zone the other thing is um if i'm getting to that point where i'm hangry same deal i'm gonna let them know okay you know what my brain's not good right now my body i'm starting to get in that zone where i've got to eat this is not the best time to talk to me but see again that's self-awareness on my part that i had to learn why am i snapping at them right now they didn't do anything wrong right or you know this situation really doesn't need the reaction that I just gave. What is going on with me right now? Oh, I didn't get enough sleep. Oh, my coffee wore off. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm after nine. So some of that is self-awareness. So as a parent, where you go, you went back to something um, that you said about everyone, quote unquote, not being built to be parents, right? If Even if that's true, once you've become a parent, it doesn't matter if you were built for it or not. Yeah, you're in it. Okay, you're in it. 
but you have to be the parent that you can be. You can't be the parent that someone else expects you to be. Same deal. So if your idea of parenting is, you know, I'm going to prepackage all of the breakfast, snack, lunch, dinner, snack, and you can pull that off, go for it, right? If your version is, okay, here's $20, go and buy yourself lunch for the week or breakfast for the week or whatever. The point is that there's no roadmap. There's no one way to do it. All you can do is like course correct and adjust as you experience things. So, you know, if, if, if you know, you've done this thing where you've given them a lot of leeway and they've shown you that um, maybe they're not ready for that level of responsibility, you know, you can't blame them for that right? You have to now say, okay, I gave you this much responsibility. We had all these problems as a result of it. We're going to change things this way. And here's why, right? You know, so it's not you screwed up or, you know, you messed up. It's like, okay, you know what? Here's what we did. I, I, I told you that, you know, I gave you $50 at once, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing numbers out now. I gave you $50 and, and I thought it would last you for two weeks and you spent it all in two days. And, um, okay, let's talk about that. You know, I gave you too much responsibility too quickly. How can we fix this? Right. All right. So tell me, what do you actually need? Mm-hmm. What, what can we do differently so that you're going to be set up for success? That's the right way to do it. You know? Instead of one person, um, you know, instead, of, I'm never giving you fifty dollars again. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Button heads and creating drama. Right, and drama is what we don't want. And uh, you're you're, and no talking to me after nine o'clock is is a cool tip. I hope somebody picks that up. Listen, I'm not although, proud of it, but I'm going to say it works. I think eight o'clock would be even better. <laughs> Why not? I know, right? So everyone in your house knows. Don't bother me after nine o'clock. It's so funny. I mean, they will they will literally like if they start to see resistance on my face, like they start talking, right? And they start to see the resistance. Like it's, it's something that happens on my eyebrows or something. Like there's something on my face, and they'll just like look over their shoulder, like, oh, it's, uh, never mind. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And it's great. <laughs> it's great. And I'll say, you know what? Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Tomorrow's good. Because I know. I already know. And 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 the thing is that as now this is whether your moms or dads i think that one of the things that we don't do well is is recognize where our boundaries are right um it took me a long time mm-hmm. to realize how important it is that you know what i'm going to carve out this much time for myself and i don't care if you end up having to sit in your car for 10 minutes when you get home from grocery shopping if that's 10 minutes you need to decompress then take it i I mean seriously you have to figure out where your strengths and weaknesses are and you have to recognize that that you can't be you can't be all that you need to be or that you want to be even for your family if you're if you're running on fumes you can't like i've done it i've done it it doesn't work it doesn't work you get sick you get exhausted and it fosters what resentment but except in this instance it's not resentment because someone did something to you it's because you put this on yourself and now you're mad that they can't read your mind right right like don't you know i do this i do this i do this no one ever appreciates this and that Mm. well how often do you say that though appreciation is a big big thing that creates resentment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the ego the greatest drug of the ego is recognition. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a pat on the back mm-hmm. for everything. Mm-hmm. It could be something as simple as cooking a meal. You mm-hmm. know, like like I just spent an hour making this meal and you guys are complaining that there's none of salt or whatever right, it is. Like, right, Or right. you got, you know, or one of your younger ones is just like, ugh, I don't want this. And, and I think it was, I think it was a little bit, um, I've had some more flexibility with that when they were younger, but like I said, my youngest is 12 now and it's like, okay, this is not a restaurant. Like here are your options. And I do try and do options, but the thing with options, um, that I found very effective and I, and this was both in the classroom and at home, you only give options where you're willing to accept them. That's number one. So you don't, you don't give choices if there is no choice because that's just setting up a conflict. Yeah. Okay. Right. But if the idea is, okay, we're going to have a vegetable for dinner, right? Now you give your child three options. We can have peas, we can have salad, or we can have green beans. Which one would you like? Because whichever way, I'm happy. You're eating something green. I don't care. Right. You know? So now I'm putting the power in your hands to make this choice, which in actuality, I'm happy with anyone that you choose. Yeah. Instead of saying, what do you want for dinner? Right. Because now it's wide open. I want pizza. Right. Well, we can't have pizza. You can have pork chops and green beans. No, I don't want pork chops and green beans. I want pizza. You ask right. me what I want. I'm right. telling you what I want. Right, right. Whereas you can say, you know, we're having pork chops or we're having chicken or we're having, this is our main deal. I've, um, I don't have much children's experience, which is kind of weird because I have a children's nonprofit, but you know, <laughs> I'm just creative. Living guy. vicariously. Yeah, but... You know, I do have a, a little cousin who I, I, I watch once or twice a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been watching him since he's three. And uh, I have to feed him. And I have taken the approach of educator. Mm-hmm. And it's worked unbelievable. Oh, yeah. So what I do is, like, for just example, I made him potatoes one night. And he wasn't used to seeing the skin on him. Oh, okay. And he's like, what? You know, what is this? Like, what, like, what is this? <laughs> you want me to eat that? Yeah. yeah. So I explained to him that that's where the vitamins are, and, and you know, I gave him the whole explanation, and he ate it. Yeah. You know, and so it, it was just, you know, I, there's always an educational aspect to, you know, he he said he he hated mangoes, and then one day I opened a mango, I showed him how to cut it. Mm-hmm. And I showed him how, you know, you, you pop a mango from inside out. like, And it, and I taught him that, and he started eating it, and now he loves mangoes. Mm-hmm. So you empowered him is the difference. Right, but I never gave him choices. Not once. If I'm eating mangoes, you're eating mangoes. Which is, which is fine, but the idea being, though, imagine if you had put it that way, though. We're having mangoes. You're going to eat it and you're going to like it. Right. Like, what is the message that they actually that's, get with that's, that? That's a dictatorship. But I I, I, uh, I, wouldn't say it in that way. Right. I would just say, well, you know, you can wait till the next meal if you want. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a choice. Again, they're still empowered. Right. 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 They're empowered in that. Listen, I'm still I'm still the adult and I'm, I'm setting the boundaries. I'm still putting the parameters on what our options are here. You know, as a little person, yeah, you know what? You can eat or you can not eat. Um, my my great-grandmother had this expression, <laughs> and it stuck with me forever. You'll eat it before it eats you. Right. That just, I mean, and then later, I remember seeing, do you remember this movie, Mommy Dearest? Yeah. Did you ever see that? I think so, yeah. Do you remember the scenes where she had to eat the liver? There was a, there was liver. 
And Mommy Dearest basically was saying, you're going to eat this liver. And what ended up happening was the child didn't like the liver, the child didn't want the liver, but every meal from that moment, like three different times, she rewarmed that same plate and put that same liver in front of that child. It was like a battle of wills. And the <laughs> child never ate the liver. No, they won't. But it, it but, but that was an example of, you know, like you said, dictatorship. You'll do it and you'll like it. No, they won't. No, they won't. And then it'll, it'll, it'll spark a whole nother new problem that's sure. just going to fester. Yeah. And as they get older, there'll be that resentment. Yup. Yeah. Oh, there's that word again. And it'll just keep going and going and going. Yeah. You know, but I mean, you know what? I think part of it too, and 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 now again, this is me. I think part of it is also finding like the sense of humor and the joy that comes with raising kids, because it's hard. It's hard. They're, they stink sometimes. They're dirty. They're messy. They outgrow things like two months after you buy them. Like there's a whole laundry list of <laughs> right. things that happens. Right. No pun. That, that parents just literally have to go to but sure but i think for me um it's also like there's a sitcom aspect to it like there's certain you can't write some of this stuff no, no you know i don't care if you had like the best showrunners in the world some of the stuff that goes on you can't capture it in a script like right. it, and and being able to like zone in on that weird moment or you know that special skill or talent or you know that moment where everyone just is in harmony like those are those are awesome moments that you really have to just stop and and appreciate and slow down right and they're that's what's the point like that's what's worth it right. like all the rest of the stuff um you know there's there's definitely a survival aspect to parenting no question i'm not i'm not gonna lie like sometimes it's like okay they're all asleep and i passed out in my clothes that particular day right um but other times uh, you get to really create something special like there's you can't create that same experience with another set of people like it's you and your household are going to create experiences that only you and your household can have there's just so many variables there's right. different personalities so it's 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 not taking it for granted i think like yeah it's hard but imagine waking up tomorrow and not having it Right. You know, like no matter how hard it gets, there's still that aspect of, you know, it's not that I got to do this. It's that I get to do it every day. It's purposeful. Every day I get to do this. Right. It's fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What about, and this goes back to me saying, not everyone is built to be a parent. Mm -hmm. And sometimes someone becomes a parent, mm -hmm. realizes they're not built to be a parent. Yeah. And they take off. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that don't don't know who dad is. Mm -hmm. Some people. It's No, it's, I'm one of them. It's more prevalent with dad and mom, but some people don't know who their mom is. Mm -hmm. uh, you just said you're one of them. I'm, okay. a, I'm one of them. Okay. Definitely. So uh, is it safe to say that, you know, maybe we shouldn't put so much blame on the parent that walked out because they're just weren't built for it. And they said, oh, well. Um, or do we hold that resentment? I think that it depends on the individual. Like resentment is 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 definitely in there. I think, but but I think depending on the person, it manifests in different ways. 
and it, it kind of depends on how you process things because there's a self-worth element to it where it's not necessarily resentment, but it's like, why not me? Like, was I not good enough? Or um, what? There's, there's that element of reflection of, you know, did it have anything to do with me why this person isn't here? Um, and I, I think it's important to recognize Abandonment. that. Abandonment. Yeah. The, I, I think it's important to recognize that the intention wasn't to hurt the, the child that was left behind. Yeah, not at all. You know, that wasn't the intention. Um, if they could have done something differently in that moment, they would have done something differently. If if they had the capacity, if they had the, the mindset, if they had the support, if they had the whatever it was that they felt that they needed to have to be a parent, then we'd be having a different conversation. But they didn't in that moment. Mm. And we weren't there. You know what I mean? But the one thing that we can we can agree on, I think, is that when that person was facing the situation, they made the only decision that they knew how to do in that moment. Sure. Now, what happened after that, who knows? You know, there's some people that reach out. There's some people that don't reach out. There's some people that go poof and disappear forever. Maybe they regret it or they don't. Maybe they do or they don't. Exactly. So, so there's, there's definitely things that can evolve after that decision was made but in that moment when the person says no i can't i can't do this it, they're not kidding right. like it's not it's not fake well i'm i'm, I'm reminded of the jay-z story he grew up without a dad mm-hmm. or he had his dad for like 11 10 11 12 mm-hmm. years then dad left mm-hmm. super resentment because he's old enough to to resent yeah and then he becomes rich and famous mm-hmm. and dad shows up Dad shows up, and he finds out that dad was in the streets, you know, in in the drug culture. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, oh, that's why. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um. So maybe if a parent leaves, they should almost write a note. <laughs> <laughs> like how somebody, you know, like a suicide note. Like a, but I, I don't yeah. know, just, just for closure. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, the point I'm just trying to make is that, you know. Well, because a lot of that's left to our imagination, right? So without the closure, yeah. you, you play the what if game. Right. You know, the, and the assumptions. We're we're pretty creative in that way. I mean, we could we could what if ourselves like insane. But hurt people hurt people. It's true. And that's the cycle it's of, true. of humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then, Her you know, like what people. you were talking about, um, you know, parents who become parents and, and weren't expecting it. I mean, we, we have a fundamental understanding of how, you know, the human reproduction happens, right? Yeah, I, okay. I heard about it. Okay. So, so even the aspect where, you know, you've become a parent, right? There's a, there's a certain amount of accountability there. You know, there's some choices that led to that, that some of it is you really do have to own your stuff. You have to own it. You have to say, did I take the steps that I needed to take in order to have the desired result? My desired result is that I don't want to be a parent until I'm 30. Okay. Do you on a daily basis make choices that allow you to maintain that goal? Or are you just kind of like, well... Well, we are overpopulated. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so, so some of it is is then like, okay, I've made this mistake. I can't believe I did this, and now you now you're mad at yourself, right? Because now you've you've put yourself in this situation, right? 
and you're, that you you proclaim, you self-proclaim you're not ready for. Right. But like I said, once once you become a parent, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about you. Now that doesn't mean that's the surrender of it. That's the devotion of it. That that's true, but I think that part of it also is this this um again, I think it's a false equivalency. Like becoming a parent doesn't mean that you as an individual disappear. Right. You have to make adjustments. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to take on certain responsibilities. You have to plan differently, but you you can't lose who you are neither as a parent or in a relationship for that matter, you can't lose who you are in service of another because again, that sacrifice that you're putting on yourself. Right. No one asked you to do that. Your, ch- your children don't ask you to do that. Right. How do you raise kids different than society is dictating? How, how does mm. somebody actually raise their kids vegan or how does somebody raise their kids Jehovah Witness? Mm-hmm. Or how does somebody raise their kids uh, Muslim? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, are, we, live in a, we live in this Christian country. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas are going to come around mm-hmm. every fourth quarter, mm-hmm. no matter what. It's mm-hmm. not changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, the food is the food. You can't watch football without being told what to eat or drink. Right. Um, we are socially engineered to live a certain way, even though it's a quote unquote free country, we're we're still socially engineered (laughs) Mm -hmm. to act in a certain way. So now if you have kids and you don't want to follow that certain way, Mm -hmm. you become an outcast. Is there a way in in your view, is there a way to go about that Mm -hmm. without being a dictator? I think, I think it comes back to something we were talking about earlier about um, from your perspective being being the teacher educator, right? You you take on the hat of I'm I'm going to inform, right? But then also explaining your position and why, right? So I think part it's two parts. It's explaining the why of why you do things the way you do them, but there's also you have to inform your children that different people are just as free to make different choices and that one isn't better or worse, right or wrong, that they can exist in the same space and not threaten each other. You know, And I know that society-wise, that's not the message that, that we are often getting. Mm-hmm. But as a parent, you're asking specifically. Right. Uh, what I try and say is, well, some people do these things or people from this country celebrate these things have you heard of this before have you seen that before you know so again encouraging those questions that when you come across something you don't understand that your knee-jerk response isn't "Ooh, that's different Ooh, that's weird right oh that's wrong but your knee-jerk response is huh I haven't seen that before. Right. Now I want to ask questions. I want to understand. Right. So, so trying to cultivate a relationship where children feel comfortable having discussions and asking questions, I think is a really important first step because if they get the impression that they can't even come to you with a question, now you're trusting a child's imagination to come up with their own answers. Right. And their own answers 
are going to be wrong sometimes. Right. Okay. Like I had children in, in preschool, you know, oh my gosh, bless their heart. I had this one, this one child that had this conversation with their parent. Now I didn't, I wasn't there for the conversation and I didn't get it directly from the child. I got it from the parent, but the parent and I had this fantastic conversation about um, the reason that the skin color is different. Right. So one child said, you're, you're, you know, you ate this food, you ate that food. That So the idea was that this other child ate chocolate, ate too much chocolate. And that's why their skin was brown. And so we were able to just like have this lighthearted conversation as parents and then said, OK, look, how can how can we facilitate this conversation differently? Because we're talking about preschoolers. You know, we're talking about three, like two and a half, three year old children. Right. And. All they're noticing is physical difference. They're not, they're not, there's, there's no association with it. Like there's right. no emotional like kickback. There's right. like, oh, you know, you, you <laughs> too much chocolate. Yeah, so your yeah. skin is brown. Right. And to them, it was fantastic. Like how come I don't have that much chocolate where I can be brown too? Like they just saw <laughs> that it was so much chocolate. So, so anyway, yeah. the discussion with the parents went, went beautifully. But the idea is that you, you, you cultivate a culture where you can have conversation, where you can acknowledge differences and where you don't understand something, seek understanding. And you still don't have to agree, but at least if you understand, you can have that that conversation with your children and let them feel that they're growing up in a, a place where they can they can get answers they can trust. And when they have feelings about things, they can come to you. Because see, that's the other thing. By the time they say something about it, it's already gone through their brain. They've already had feelings about it. That's already happened by the time something comes out of a child's mouth. Right. 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 So they've already had thoughts. They've already had feelings. We don't know how much um, exposure they've had to this topic or this issue or this question before they actually open their mouth and say it to us. Right. So by the time they get around to saying something, you want to make sure that that environment is as supportive and accepting as possible. So you're like, yeah, give me more, more questions, more discussion. Let's do it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not a parent. Don't plan on being one actually, <laughs> but if I did, I think my plan of attack would be to have a very, very, very serious conversation at 13. Mm -hmm. I think there's something very special about that age. I think that's why in the Jewish tradition they have the bar and bat mitzvah mm -hmm. at 13. Mm -hmm. There's no accident that the, that's typically the hormones are coming in, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And um, things change at 13. Teen, hardcore. 11, 12. 13 now you are a teenager and so i think there's something significant about that and i i think my hypothetical approach that's what it would be mm -hmm. is to have a really serious conversation at 13 um and maybe revisit it again at 18 mm -hmm. and maybe again at 30 um 30, i think milestones are huge too. 30 significant too I think milestones are huge, and, and I agree with you with um, the one add-on is every chance you get. Yeah. Every chance. Any, Keep any educating. Chance they reach out is like gold. It's almost like stop everything. <laughs> everything. Stop everything. Turn the TV on. We are having a meaningful conversation, and there's nothing more important in this moment. Right. Um, and sometimes it's very subtle, Sometimes it just kind of slips in and, and our impulse is, oh my gosh, they're talking to me. Now let me, let, you know, I'm going to stare at them in their face and ask them. 
you just have to allow the space, like yeah. allow them to just talk and not feel pressured, you know, continue your activity. You know, if you're washing dishes, if you're, if you're, you know, folding clothes, if you're uh, paying bills and, you know, all of a sudden they give you one of those like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just asked me that questions. Okay, let's take a beat. That's very interesting. You know, what made you think of that? You right. know, <laughs> right. or, or, or my favorite go-to, Okay, tell me more about that. And in the meantime, my brain is going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> but, but if you say... That's a coaching trick. Yeah. Okay, tell me more about that. Yeah. And then that gives them a chance to talk and it gives you a chance to group and, and it gives you a chance to formulate what you want to say. Um, and just as with kids as much as possible. Um, and I know you know there's just the major difference between reacting and responding. Try as as much as possible, you know, not to react based on what you see and based on what they do. Um, just try and respond to each situation, you know, from a place of love and understanding and, and trust and just the idea that, okay, it's a teachable moment, <laughs> right? right? Every one of those is a teachable moment. Right. Because they're just little people. There's little people. Well, eventually they become 30. Yeah. You, you have one that's about to be 30. Almost. Almost. And he's he's awesome. I love him. He's a fantastic kid. He's a fan. I mean, kid, young man. I mean, he's he is um, he's got a heart of gold. And I sometimes I sit back and I'm like, okay, you know, there, there's certain things that have happened in life that were difficult, mm -hmm. but he's still this kid, right? You know, and I'm thankful for that. And same sure. thing with my daughter. I mean, she's been through some tough stuff and, you know, she's had her, her hurdles to jump over. And again, giving, caring, um, just decent human beings. Like, I've got decent human beings in my house. And that's, that's huge. That's good. <laughs> and and it, But it, it's, it's also important to note that there's a lot of parents that don't. Yeah. You you don't know what you're getting when the egg hatches. No, it's true. <laughs> you really don't. It's true. You could give birth to the next school shooter. It's true. You could give birth to the next serial killer. It's you you could give birth to a narcissist. Mm -hmm. uh, you can give birth to Mm -hmm. I, I I don't know, just someone who eventually will commit suicide or something. Like, you just don't know what you're getting. And, and, and you could do the greatest job in the world, and it won't matter. But see, here's the thing. You're right about that. And as parents, it's really important for us to separate our, our life experiences. Like, again, you have born or have brought these children into the world, but you don't own them. And ultimately you don't own the responsibility for their, their behavior. Like you have responsibility to do the best you can. And yes, if you have done actions or if you have set things in motion that are taking them down a specific path, like you need to be aware of that. And, and there's a lot of self-correction that we can do. Now, some of this, you know, like my, one of my children is autistic, mm -hmm. right? And he's high functioning on the autistic spectrum. And he was three when we finally like got some answers about some of the things that we were seeing going on with him, um, some of the ways that he was processing like social situations, some of the anxiety that he was uh, going through in classroom scenarios. So, you know, I've been there, you know, with parents in that same vein where some of them like, there's nothing wrong and they're just hard headed. Okay. 
we could have taken that approach, but what would that have done for his experience growing up? So because we are putting a judgment on how we perceive our image on this child, we don't want to say, oh, well, this child you know, has problems or this child has autism or this, there's something different with this child, right? Can't be something different. That's my kid, my kid. There's nothing wrong with my kid. But that doesn't serve the child, right? It's not about us. Right. It didn't serve him for us to be in quote unquote denial about what we were seeing. And whether we understood it or not, our responsibility was to find out what does the child need. It's not about what is best for us at that point because again, that child didn't have to be here. So it's on us to do what we can. So, I mean, we don't know anything about it. I mean, I, I, I had some exposure to autism based on my um, experience as a teacher in the classroom, but having that in the home and doing things a specific way in the home is a completely different experience altogether. So we had, we had to learn from the ground up about diet, about um, things to avoid, about um, structure and and um, how to communicate changes and social cues and like just so many things. And each time we had a handle on it, one of those developmental milestones you were talking about happened and we had to flip it around a little bit mm. and we had to change up some things. And so we're still, you know, on that pathway with him because like you said, he's a teenager. Right. So, you know, that that's that's something where, we had to let go really early on about how things look, what the expectations are, what people might think or what people might say, because you know what? People aren't my kid. People don't live in my house. People don't live my life. Our job is how to help him be self-sufficient and to be confident and, and, and a decent human being. Right. And whatever way that needs to happen for who he is. Isn't it safe to say that being a parent especially once they're 13, it's like pretty much like being a coach. Very much. Yeah. Very much. You 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 don't dictate to them, but you, you just sort of give them a pat on the back. Yep. You guide. You bring attention. Yeah. You notice. You educate. You educate. Hi, buddy, I noticed blah, blah, blah. Right? Not, what are you doing that for? You know? Right. Hey, I noticed such and such. Okay, you have any questions about that? Or is there anything I can do to support that? Okay, will you let me know when you need a hand? Okay, I'll check back in with you in two days and see how that's coming along. Mm. Okay, the whole idea is what's the next step I can take? What's the next thing I can say that's going to move them one step closer down their road? Not my road, mm. their road. You know, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It's very it's tricky to do with multiple children in the house because you have everybody on a different road, going a different speed, with different things that motivate them, with different things that they're afraid of, with different things they like and dislike. So um, <laughs> I made the joke earlier about it not being a restaurant, but but they they really do have custom designed <laughs> lives to um, at this point in in trying to capture what their decisions are because that's the thing it's not about what we want them to be I think my husband and I um, agreed that we would like to do the best we can to keep as many options open for them as possible until they kind of figure out what they want and which direction they want to go and then as they start to do that we start to figure out okay how 
Like we try and figure out how is it gonna happen for you? Like I have one that likes music and art and singing. Um, so, you know, she's a theater kid, you know? One that loves media and, you know, um, videos and et cetera. So, okay, that's what he did. He did theater and he did uh, communication in college. So that's one of the things that he's living and doing right now. And then at my um, Justin, um, he's an insane artist. And I mean insane ever since he's two. Um, and then my younger one, I, I have to be honest, I don't know what her thing is yet. I don't mm -hmm. think she knows what her thing is yet. But the idea is that we keep the options open until she starts to figure out. Right. Here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I want to do. And then we just do the best we can. Right. And the idea is not going to be that they're always going to get a yes. Sometimes the answer is going to be a no. But once again, just being as honest as you can. It can't about, be a jello no. It can't be a jello no. <laughs> I didn't know what a jello no was until today. So thank you. Well, that, I, I'm not going to say that. That's a technical terminology. <laughs> it might just be in my house. but um, a soft no. A soft no. <laughs> That's yeah. good. That's good. No, I think um, as we wrap up here, I think I think there was some great gems here that people can take away. Um, there's a lot of people out there managing the bigger families. Even one child might be a lot for mm -hmm. someone, you know. Mm -hmm. Everyone has different capabilities. Of Everyone's built for different things. Like I used to be in show business. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's built for show business. Yeah. Not everyone's built to hustle. Yeah. You know, somebody might be more of an office person or a cubicle person. Or, yeah. You know, not everyone's built to be a tradesman, right? Not everyone can be a plumber. Not a, not yeah. everyone can, can, you know, when something breaks at your house is going to fix it. You might have to call someone. Yeah. Like, so everyone sort of has, their, everyone has their own wheelhouse. The they term. do, they do. And, and uh, I think it's really important yeah. too, though, to, to recognize that it's okay to say that sometimes it sucks. Yeah. I don't think that, I think that there's value in recognizing when something is not good in that moment, right? Yeah. The idea is though, you can recognize that something sucks in that moment and you can give it the space to feel and you can give yourself the, the grace to say, I am, I am not perfect, I am having this moment, I need help or whatever it is. And as long as your next thing is okay, and now what? Right. Right? It's okay that the dinner got burned, or it's okay that the Christmas presents weren't perfect, or the tree is lopsided, or whatever. Like, it's okay that the perfect Thanksgiving didn't happen and the yard isn't decorated just so for the holidays. It's okay that all of that stuff doesn't happen, especially if that's not where your heart is. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to like, what can I do next that's going to benefit me, that's going to benefit these children, that, that you know, I can just allow? Because I think there's, that that's part of it. We can't control it so much to the point that we can't allow and accept when things happen that are outside of our control. Right. You know, and, and I just think that's really important for moms in particular to know is that nobody expects you to have all the answers. Sometimes things are going to go wrong. Sometimes it's going to feel lonely. It's going to feel hard. And at the end of the day, it's okay because you're not alone in that. Right. Like I, I think that I'm a fairly grounded, well-balanced mom and I lose it sometimes. I cry. Sometimes I need to go have a massage. I need to go spend the day, you know, walking and, and, and trying on shoes. Like there's times that you have to just allow yourself to feel it all, but then you get back up and you do what you got to do. So there's no perfect 
mom. And if there's anybody in your circle that's making you think otherwise, I, I challenge that. Well, it's not a job. You can't, it's not like you can just quit. No. I mean, you, you technically could walk out like we talked about. Right. But, you know, right. usually when people do that, it's early, but mm-hmm. so you're, you're in it to win it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Next. You're on, you're on the treadmill. <laughs> Order up, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Tiffany. Do you, do you have uh, a place where people can come say hello to you that are listening? Oh, wow. Instagram or Facebook? Sure, or? sure. Actually, on Facebook, um, under Momentum Life Mastery Coaching, that's the page. Um, and then I am on Instagram um, now. So it's under uh, Tiffany Got Gold. And, it, and like you say, it's Tiffany with a Y. So Tiffany it's with a T-Y-P-H-A-N-I-E, Got Goals. That's where I am on Instagram and on Facebook, Momentum Life Mastery Coaching. I don't think I ever met a Tiffany with a Y. Um, now that they are social media, I've seen more than I thought existed. There's there's about like it might be about twenty or so, and I thought that was more like oh okay. There's there, my mom was unique, but I'm not like one of two in the world. I've also just uh, I've never met a Tiffany that wasn't spunky. <laughs> Yeah, well, we got that in spades. I, I've never, I've never met a Tiffany that wasn't spunky either. I've never met like you know someone who's like Eeyore ish and named Tiffany. Never Eeyore ish. Eeyore ish. Eeyore. Okay, so Winnie the Pooh is like one of my favorites. I, I find a lot of of going through life. I can I can associate with Winnie the Pooh, but yeah, I've never met an Eeyore ish Tiffany. All right, cool. Well, if you're looking for me, you can go to drreese.com. That's doctor spelled out. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.